Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Welcome everybody once again to the View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, your host Danny Kelly today, are The Athletic's Charlie Eckershire and a really special guest, Joe Tung, and I have to get used to calling her Joe Tung MBE. Hello everybody. Now on today's episode, we will chat to Joe about her love for Spurs and her vast involvement in the world of football and media. Uh, we'll also catch up with uh, how some of the Spurs players fared over the international weekend and look ahead to the upcoming game against Fulham, a game that um, could see Spurs retain their place <laughs> at the top of the table, if you don't mind. Uh, this and more all coming up on The View from the Lane. Joe, I need to explain to people just how important you are um, and I have to say, it's very tricky for me because um, I, when I first knew you, I was at BBC London and you were making the tea for me um, and Danny Baker and others. Um, but you've gone on to do all kinds of things and, I'll, and we'll talk about these, including being the editor of 606 for a decade over on the BBC. I think it's fair to say, and I'm going to say it whether it embarrasses you or not, you have been the number one driver of the astonishing rise of women's football in these islands um, and you're a football agent and you generally run things. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And you recently got given the MBE uh, for, let me get this right, for, for your services to football and gender equality. And as if all that wasn't enough, um, she has recently added to, to that list of achievements, becoming a mum in the last couple few months as well. So well done with that. But more importantly, we need to establish your bona fides. And Charlie, I'm sure, will want to get stuck into all these questions as well um, of why you're actually here. Because um, you're a massive Spurs fan. How did that happen, Joe? I am, Danny. Thank you so much for having me on the pod. Do you know what? We've actually got... Um one of my Spurs WhatsApp groups and um, I was telling them last night, I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on the pod tomorrow morning. And you are you answered one of our um, we called it senior management committee of the THFC chat. Um, he put in a question last week and you answered it. So we were like two weeks in a row. We've got representation from uh, THFC. So yes, it's it's an honour to be on the pod. Thanks for having me and for that introduction. I would argue, um, whatever the importance of life is now, my most important job was making the tea because that is where you learn everything. And I say this to people. Oh, time and time and time again, but it genuinely is, you know, when you start out as a runner in or, you know, the, the junior jobs in football, that's where you learn everything. Uh, so the Spurs connection, um, I grew up, I was, you know, born late 70s, grew up obviously early 80s. My dad actually worked in football and used to get sent to Spurs a lot. And I grew up in South East London, but my mum's family the, were all Spurs fans. So it was kind of in in the family, but where my dad was going to Spurs every week, me and me and my brother sort of badgered him, like, please take us, please take us, please take us. 
Ozzy Ardelius then Hoddle, those are my heroes. Um, so it probably was, you know, the pull of the way we play football, the glam of it all. And I just, I just loved, I just loved going to games. It just felt the most exciting thing in the world. Yeah, your dad, I should make the point, is a, still is a writer called Steve Tongue, who was a great inspiration to me, Joe, because uh, he was involved with the very, if I'm wrong, people will correct me, the very, very first fanzine, Charlie, a magazine called Foul. Um, and as a teenager, I remember seeing this, and it's the first time which I'd seen football written about in an irreverent way. Um, and not just in the end. Now he passes the ball inside to the inside forward and all that sort of thing. Um, I think it had a huge influence, whether I knew it or not at the time, um, on me. And I suspect I suspect uh, Danny Baker as well. And the way that we decided we were going to try and present football. Um, and you can, uh, if you look very carefully on eBay, occasionally a copy of the Foul Annual, but it's, which gathered together all the editions of Foul comes up. It's paperback, and I have one, and I absolutely treasure it. But your dad's a Charlton fan, isn't he? Did he not want to force you down that route? No, no, dad's actually Orient because he's from East London. Mum, so effectively, we grew up in South East London. Mum then decided that she should just walk down the road and support her local club. So they're Charlton. But when I was growing up, Charlton weren't playing at the Valley. So they were obviously ground sharing over at Palace or West Ham. So I just kind of went where I could get a lift to, if I'm honest. And um, dad wasn't going to Charlton that much. Um, so, yeah, me and my brother used to jump in the car and then we'd stand outside for hours because you know how long it takes for managers to come out and do post-match interviews. And we just stand out the front gate waiting for hours. But, you know, we kind of we met and we met groups of people. There's There's people I see at Spurs now, you know, we're in our 40s. And I still remember them from hanging out at the training ground in half terms or standing outside the club gates when we were 10 or 11. And I actually met my, my best friend. And this is, this is how weird like, times have changed. My mum worked with an, another woman um, and her daughter was really into football, but she didn't really feel able to take her to football, didn't, you know, couldn't get tickets, whatever. So she'd said to my mum, oh, could my daughter come to football with your daughter? So we were two 11-year-olds. We'd never met before. You know, it's what kids do. We met at a station. We got on a train. And we went to we went to White Hot Lane, and you know we probably got there about three hours before kickoff. We used, we joke. I think we used to have a fiver each, and it was about three pounds to get in, and we had what, sort of one seventy or one seventy five for our travel card, and then you'd have like twenty five p left to buy your sweets on the way home, and we'd always get home for gladiators. But it was just you know like I know it's really hard to look back with rose tinted glasses, but it it genuinely was the making of me. Like I met so many funny people, so many random people. You know, you, that gallows humour sort of from the terraces. Like, I just laughed so much. And because we were generally pretty poor, you know, travelling up to Anfield, you know, my sort of social life was away games. Um, and the lads I sit with now, they're, they're who I went to uni with. They're, you know, my Spurs friends from uni. So it's really nice we've still got this. And my best friend, Sarah, we still go to games together and she brings her kids up occasionally. And, you know, I, I took, like you mentioned, I had a child. I did take him to his first First Spurs game, age four weeks old, um, not on the terraces. <laughs> I managed to get a nice seat um, up in a behind a bit of glass, but um, it was really special for me. Yeah, make sure um, that the, the, the little lad becomes a Spurs fan. You don't want him drifting off somewhere else, as, as young people tend to do these days. Um, I mean, there's so much I could talk to you about this, Joe, but there's so much else we need to talk to you about before we get on to the wider world of Spurs. Um, I just uh, wondered... You know, the awful, I'm sorry, I'm on my hobby horse again, the awful second season involving Antonio Conte um, has been replaced by 
an extraordinary start to this season. As we speak, Spurs are top of the table and playing some decent stuff with a likeable team. Um, it's been an incredible turnaround, hasn't it? Honestly, it's the only reason I've come on the pod. You know, I've come on the pod because we're top of the league. Like, when am I ever going to be able to say that again? Um, glory hunter. You know, absent. I was a glory hunter back in the 80s when I decided to follow them. Still a glory hunter. <laughs> That's what the family will say. Um, do you know what? It's just so fun. And I, I said to I said to them last week, the, the guys I sit with, I said, do you know what? You need a lot of energy to come to Spurs now. There was a period, and this sounds awful, but during the Conte time, I would rock up and it, it was almost a physical thing. I'd lean back in my seat. So we're in, I, I um, sit slash stand in low, like low south stand. And you, I just sort of slump and it didn't, I didn't need to bring anything to the game. And it, it's awful. And, you know, I'm sure that, I'm not saying blame, you know, blame the fans for the poor performances at all. But I feel I didn't help the team for long, lots of, lots of periods last season because I did just kind of rock up and, oh, I've just got to do this. I've got to do this. But now you literally, you've got to bring your A game. You need energy. You need to be engaged. You, you definitely can't leave. We we're saying at the, um, I think it was a Sheffield United game. I think the 96th minute or 98th minute and the ground was still full. And I looked around and I was like, when have you ever been at Spurs in the 98th minute and you look up East and West Ends and it's still full? Like, you've got to stay. Like, you can't, You might miss something. It's so fun. It's so, so fun. And I just feel we haven't had that. There was some, you know, the sort of the Poch Champions League year was, was great and exciting. And that's probably the last time I just feel alive again. Um, and it's a pleasure. Like you look forward rather than going, you know, it's Fulham, 8 p.m. Monday night. Oh, how are we going to get there after work? Oh, cold. Oh, now you don't, you know, it's like this is, um, I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, listen, as I say, there's so much to get through. You progressed in, in, in sports media to the main BBC. And of course, you know, there are two absolute dreadnought battleships of football coverage on the BBC. Um, one of which, of course, is Match of the Day, and the other is 606. Um, which, of course, in the past I've had the, uh, I suppose, the pleasure of presenting. Um, but you became eventually the editor of 606. Um, what was what was that like? I mean, are you aware that uh, what a huge... I mean, I used, to, I used to do the phone on Talk Sport in opposition to 606. And, of course, I'd, I'd mock it mercilessly, even having not heard it for several years, so I was working myself. But you are aware that you are, at least I used to be aware, that you are one of the very first places that fans can get... Um, their views, however um, mad, on air very, very quickly. I mean, is that how you dealt with it? How, what, what kind of experience was did, did you have a huge influence over the people who were, you know, talking to the microphones? I honestly, I still talk 606. I feel like it's my baby and it's absolutely not. It's, it's the baby of the fans. But I loved every single second of working on that show because it's just like you're talking to your people. And, the, you know, you know, when something dramatic happens, the first thing you want to do is share it with others. And I just think radio is such a special medium. And I, I really sort of, in COVID especially, it really resonated with me. When you're on your own or, you know, even just getting back in a car after football or on the train on the way home when I've said goodbye to everyone, I want to carry on. I, I want to share. I want to know what other people think. I want to, you know, it's that joint experience and that that shared sort of love or passion. It's not even love often. That shared frustration for many years I just, yeah, I absolutely adored every show we did. And, you know, I started and it was it was Alan Green and um, Gavin Marcotti. And then I brought in the first female presenter. So Kelly Cates came. We brought Ian Wright back. He'd obviously left the BBC for many years. Managed to, because it's such an iconic show, 
you can get these amazing presenters to kind of be the guardians of it. And that that's how I felt you're a guardian of it for, for many years. And then you sort of, you know, pass it on to the next producer or you bring... And there's so many people who are producers now, like very senior producers, like you say, across the BBC, across TalkSport, across Spotify, um, over at Apple, who started out as phone operators on 606. And it's just the best intro to the industry, I think. Joe, how, how much has it changed now with social media and the fact that, you know, a lot of fans can vent uh, or luxuriate in a win in that way as well? Do you see it, you know, is that a threat? Is that something that complements it? I think it absolutely complements it. I think there is, you know, we were always aware of the changing shape of it and you've always got to think as a producer, like, how can we make this more, you know, more interactive, more 360? How can we put 606 on a different platform? Is that the right thing to do for the show? But actually when you you bring it down to the purest form, like I said, you're on your own or you're in a car or you've just left a game or you're travelling back with a group of fans, there is something quite beautiful about just speaking you know, in that intimate sort of relationship with the, you know, the the presenter, there's something beautiful about that that I'm not sure does need to change. Um, I think, you've, you know, there's there's the whole surrounding, you know, we do social clips and you do, you know, you get content via social interaction, but at the heart of it, it is a football phone-in show and I do still I do still think there's a place for that. I will tell you, I will tell you very quickly, there was um, one night we used to, obviously during the World Cups, we used to have 606 and I do remember, I think it was... England versus maybe Algeria on a Friday night. And I think we drew one or one. We were terrible. Is it South Africa? The Wayne Rooney, nice to be booed by your own fans. Right, game. thank you. That's exactly it. And so we went on air. So you go on air, whistle blows, Alan Green or, you know, Mike Ingham would hand to, John Murray would do it now, hand, hand to 606. So you've literally got this barrage. And we had to stay on. We had over a thousand callers, which is insane at, at that time. Yeah, it was 11 o'clock on a Friday night. Um, we had to stay on for an extra hour and then I got in the car on the way home and I, I went to pick my partner up from the pub and he got in the back of the car with all his mates and I literally, they just piled in again and I was like, guys, you know I've just had this for three hours on air. I don't need another 606 in the car. But, you know, it's, it's that, it's that they've been in the pub, they wanted their 606. But, you know, it is, it's that, that power of that people obviously in their homes watching a World Cup, again, maybe by themselves or... You know, they want to share something and they want to vent their frustration, but they're not quite sure where to place that. And 606 was just a beautiful place for them to come, I think. Joe, you then, um, and I'm, I'm, I really am speeding through this. That's the nature of these podcasts. We can't sit here and talk for three or four hours. You started your agency, Tongue Tied, um, which represents both players in the game, many of the top women's players as well with you, um, and um, presenters um, for, for sports and, and, and much wider. Your greatest achievement, of course, is getting Dion Dublin um, on Homes Under the Hammer. And I thought, when Dion turned up on that, I thought, I can see the hand of the tongue in that. Look at that. What the hell is that? And then, But he's, of course, he's brilliant at it, which turns out to be a surprise to me. But there you are. And I like Dion. And I've had the occasional pint on the pavement with him. What part of, the, of that have you enjoyed best? Is, is it dealing with the players? Because that might... It, it's one thing dealing with radio presenters. They're, they're all really incredibly well-balanced human beings, well-rounded human beings, never have any demands. And in fact, I imagine they enhance your life greatly. Um, players are a different thing, is it? It is completely different, but at the same time, it's completely the same. It's your strategizing career, your managing career. You're making sure they're contractually safe and looked after. And then you're effectively a sort of counsellor slash therapist slash support. So yeah, it is slightly different, but I think it's a it's a lovely in the agency that we've got the balance, we've got the broadcast arm, and like you say, 
you know, we, we got to end up in on, on hands and samba, but you know, there's always, there's a reason for this. You know, it's not like wild things that I just think, oh, I know we'll put Dion Dublin on Hands Under the Hammer. Dion was actually a property developer and, you know, super interested in buying and selling houses. It's what he did off the pitch. And when, when players retire, yeah, you can go and work on match of the day and yeah, you can, you can be a football pundit, but actually it's like, you, you'll know the best presenters were generally producers. So they, they sort of have an understanding and the best sort of interviewers are generally presenters. And I said to Dion, like, he's such a warm personality. He's so good at making people feel comfortable, sort of engaging with people, getting the best out of people. And I was like, you would be so good on daytime TV. So let's marry daytime TV with something you're passionate about, as well as football. But let's give you a sort of another, you know, another stripe to your, your, your bow. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the homes under the hammer. And on the football side, yes, it's really stressful. You are effectively completely responsible for where someone is moving to, often the next day, and that is really stressful. And in the women's game, it's even more stressful, I'd say, because the the money at the money that they're earning is is not at the level of the men. So it is almost you might move a player to a club in London, but that actually might not financially be the best move for them because they've got to then pay to live in London. And the you know the lionesses earn a certain level. Most of the lionesses will be on what I would call an extremely good wage. But the average wage for a WSL player is 30 30K a year, which I think comes as a shock to some people. But that's where we're at for the at the moment. It's it's a shock to me, given the the I mean, I, things have to catch up, of course, but the 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 the, the the popularity of the women's game, which shows, shows indeed not only shows no sign of abating, but continues to grow. Um, I mean, obviously, you can't grow as exponentially as it has done the last two years because that's been astonishing. That, yeah, you do shock me that it's that thirty grand is still the uh, the average annual wage for a women's football. You can't you can't move them to London then, can you? Because they they'll they'll be living under a flyover. You, you, it just doesn't work, does it? No, and it's different. It's a bit like you know, like cricket central contracts. It's almost like you know, it's like a central contract. If you're a lioness, you do you can come on if you're an international player. And you know, there was a stage where in the WSL we only really represented international players because it was a complete lost leader for me for so many years. Um, but I just, you know, I do I do believe that the players have the right to have the right contract, and someone needs to be fighting for them even to get up to get them up to you know the thirty or the forty k. And then on the side, I can do the boot deals, and I can you know, get them some media work. So it's, you know, that's not necessarily the limit of their earnings, but football comes first. And, you know, you've got to be careful about how much off the pitch stuff you do, because ultimately they're still trying to build themselves as footballers. And that's where the focus is. And while your clients absolutely dominate um, the place where I work more regularly, um, I note uh, with interest that uh, none of your players currently play for either Spurs' men or women's team. I would like to do more work with them. I did Jenna Scalacci, who is obviously a Spurs women's captain for 10 years. She um, is a client. Chloe Morgan, the goalkeeper, moved her to Palace. Josie Green was at Spurs, moved her to Leicester. Sorry, everybody. Um, and I've worked, you know, I've worked, I've worked with Michael Carrick for many years, who many people will forget, but he was a Spurs player uh, between the West Ham and Manu moves. So yeah, I, I still have the links with Spurs, but I actually kind of, in women's football, Spurs have only recently come come to the fore and they're, I mean, you'll have seen, you know, they're fourth in the table at the moment. I watched them against Chelsea the other week. They were really, they were playing what I would call the Spurs way. Um, they brought in a new manager in the summer and they've actually, um, I must must say, they announced the North London derby, which is going to be played at the stadium on the 17th of December. So it'll be Spurs versus Arsenal. I think 
Arsenal women's team are quite well documented. People will, you know, will know the quality of them, the level of them, the number of, of Lionesses plus other international players they have. But I think actually the way Spurs played against Chelsea, and it was only it was 2-1, um, plus the way, you know, I don't know if you'd have seen on, on Sunday, they were away at Brighton and they played brilliantly. I think uh, Robert, the manager, was saying he was so impressed because they scored in a, in the 90th minute or in injury time. It's like they are playing a bit like the men's side. They are playing, you know, they are still going um, in 90 plus. Um, and just the way they play football, I've been really impressed this season. So I'm actually quite excited to to watch them more, but also from a sort of selfish business point of view, work with them more. Finally, about about uh, before we go get it back into into the Spurs and some important issues as well, and some fun from the international break we just had. Um, now it must be uh, it's obvious to everyone that uh, um, I've been a legendary broadcaster for nearly four decades now, um, a national treasure. Most would say I think it's fair, and yet I have waited at, uh, every January and every summer for the letter to drop through the, uh, the letter boxes saying that you are now Sir Danny Kelly, come to the palace for your investiture. Um, how weird then that Joe Tung should have got an MBE in recent times um, for, and I'll repeat it again because it's a beautiful thing, for services to football and to gender equality. I mean, I, it's that's your life summed up, Joe, in, in four <laughs> words there, which is fantastic. You must have been embarrassed to get an MBE before I did, surely. I am genuinely embarrassed that I have an MBE before. So many people I know that have done so much more than me in the game. Um it's just, I like, even when you say it now, it feels really weird. And I just, you know, there was all these people when you were growing up that had MBE after their name and they were just, they were so special. They'd done so many great things. And I actually found out when I was in Qatar in, at the World Cup. So I got an email and I thought it was, I thought it was for one of my clients because I'd had one. Basically, I'd opened one and it was saying one of my clients had received one. So then I got, another, I got to the next email and I was like, oh, I wonder who's got this one. And then it said my name and address at the top. And I was like, no, and I shut it. I was like, oh, someone's taken the mick. And then I opened it again. I was like, oh, my God. So I was in this hotel room in Qatar at the World Cup last year. So it was really special. And they actually, it was a really nice day. I, I didn't really know what to expect. I thought it'd be a bit like a graduation and you just walk up on the stage with hundreds of people in the room. But they literally, they take you and your family and you're in a room. You wait outside and then you file through and you're in a room by yourself with the king and, and I'm, you know, the king gave it. And he was really lovely. Like, he'd done his research. He asked loads of questions about football about the women's game it was just before the women's world cup so we had a chat it was really lovely it was a really lovely day and very special did you ask him if he had an agent <laughs> i didn't feel it was appropriate at that point no <laughs> <laughs> because uh, because as i say every time a new face appears on tv i'm not joking here joe i turn to mrs k and i say to her look alex I bet that's, a, that's one of Joe Chung's clients. I guarantee it. And uh, if the King suddenly turned up wearing a, you know, a tongue-tied T-shirt on the television, I wouldn't be remotely surprised. <laughs> Hosting Homes Under the Hammer. <laughs> yes. Imagine uh, it. Uh, stately, stately Homes Under the Hammer, isn't it? <laughs> Brilliant. Football is bigger and more complicated than ever before. Just ask VAR. Check complete. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. So the Daily Football Briefing is here to help, whether it's the World Cup. It's a kind of face-saving, everyone's happy, no one's a loser. Lionel Messi. As they say, he completed football. Or Manchester United. I mean, the performances all season have been questionable. That are making you quizzical. The Daily Football Briefing has all the answers you need for every football story that matters. And it does exactly what the name suggests. It's daily, it's brief, 
and it's all about football. The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic, available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, welcome back, everybody, to the second half of today's edition of The View from the Lane, where it's me, Danny Kelly, Charlie Eccleshare, and Joe Tung, who I shall stop calling Joe Tung MBE now because it's starting to sound like I'm taking the <laughs> mickey. Although it might be when, like when you two ever interview Ian Botham, who insists on being called Sir Ian. So maybe we'll go that route with a who knows. Welcome back to the, uh, the, the View from the Lane podcast, the podcast that does not insist on playing 90 meaningless minutes against Vietnam. Hello, Sonny. Charlie, an interesting international break because two Spurs players who we've uh, you know we've done nothing but kiss the tops of their head since they arrived at the club both made their competitive debuts. In fact, their actual debuts, I think, in both cases for their countries. Mickey van der Ven for the Netherlands and the Destiny O'Doggy. Surprise, surprise for Italy. Um, it's, ta- it's taken Spalletti four games um, to get him into the team and looking at his performance against England, they won't be taking him out of the team for, for a while now. 
Yeah, both did really well. I mean, Van der Ven put in some very nice tackles as well. There was some compilations going around that Spurs fans got very excited about. But I mean, there's nothing when you're top of the league and you've got momentum, then having an international break is just like the most anxiety inducing thing. You're just kind of Twitter searching player names, and especially when the games are overnight and you wake up, you're just like, oh God, which Argentina player? You know, has Romero hurt himself? And obviously there was that little scare. But um, yeah, on that, I reported yesterday that he. He feels all right, so hopefully he'll be able to play against Fulham, which would be great news. What about Son, who in, in scoring his goal for um, South Korea, and of course I'm, I'm joking, he's the captain of the country, if he wants to play, um, he, of course he should play, um, but in scoring his goal, he appeared to get a whack. Um, he stayed on for the remainder of the game. How's he? Again, it's fairly encouraging um, bulletins at this point. Um, obviously, we'll see how he goes the next few days, but yeah, I, I don't think there are big worries about either him or Romero. Uh, which yeah, which is the big thing, isn't it? Really, I mean, it's really nice when you've got guys like Odogi and Van der Ven making their debuts and playing well. But I think really all any Spurs fan wanted was just please, please, no injuries. Also, that's the beauty of a Monday night game, isn't it? You know, it, thank goodness we're not. But sat- Saturday lunchtime, we might all be slightly more concerned. I do think. But by the time we kick off on on Monday, we could be fourth Spurs, and uh, the way the league is currently uh, lined up. But but they can, you know, depending on goal difference, they can go top again if they if they beat. Fulham and Arsenal were at Chelsea and City played Brighton. So yeah, they've got some tricky fixtures. With, with no no disrespect to Fulham, those are are really tricky fixtures. The only thing I was going to say on the international Danny, sorry, I really loved. I don't know if you saw at the end of the England Italy game where Madders and Udogi were like having a little huddle. And did you see it in the middle at the end? It was so lovely, and I thought that's why. You remember, like I don't know. I just thought, oh, you look. You look like you're all right. You look like your mates. You look like you might have missed each other for a week. It was just really lovely. It was like three of them in a huddle in the middle, obviously having a little catch up. And I was like, that's what I want to see from my players. You know, you've given it Vicario all was also involved. Vicario, that's it. Yeah, right. he was yeah. there. There was yeah. the three yeah. of them. And I was like, you're going to meet, you're going to meet up in the morning. Like, you're good. You can have a catch up over a cup of tea and breakfast in the morning. But it was just really nice to see them all have a little chat about the game. My favourite story of the entire week is Pascal Chimbonda. Many of you remember him playing weirdly for Spurs, um, you know, 20 years ago. Um, a, a very smiley sort of character, Pascal, although Wigan fans still say, and I'm sure it's just become an urban myth, that the day they got relegated, he produced a piece of paper demanding a transfer out of his shorts after the game. Yeah, I interviewed him a few years ago, Pascal Chimondo. Great guy. I was. Uh, it was in um, in lockdown, which was a great time for hoovering up lots of former Spurs players who didn't really have much to do. So we're like, yeah, OK, I'll do an interview with you. <laughs> uh, he, he was great. Yeah, and he talked about that um, and his time at Spurs. I mean... And I think is at that time, I think part of the reason I got in touch was he was still playing and he would have been in his 40s. He was playing kind of non-league, close close to where he was living up in the Northeast. Um, yeah, no, I'm a bit, big fan of him. And I did text my congratulations to which he responded. He called me something. I'll get it up, actually. But it was one of those where clearly he didn't know who I was. Thanks very much, my man. <laughs> Great way to call someone who when you've got no idea who they are. But I appreciated it anyway. It is really random because the... the- the team's in the northwest, isn't it? I assumed because, like you, I think he was based in the northeast, so I just assumed it was a place I didn't know in the northeast. It's actually over near Liverpool, I think. Skemmersdale, yeah. Skemmersdale is a new town um, built for overspill from Liverpool in the nineteen 
uh, 50s and 60s, people will forgive me, uh, people who come from skem, as they call it. Um, it has a tremendous reputation as being a, a tough nut town. Uh, and it's in the ninth, it's in the Northwest Counties Premier League. Um, and Pascal's at the ninth, so it's the ninth tier of English football. But that didn't stop him wearing the scarf in the picture and announcing that he, he hopes to replicate the successes of Jose Mourinho and Zinedine Zidane. Pascal, I doubt you're going to do that from Skelmersdale with all due respect, but bless him. That is an enthusiastic Wonderful. answer to a question. Wonderful. Um, and for those of you, I remember him when he first came to play for Spurs. I think it was a game, so I wouldn't have remarked upon it otherwise. It was late August and he was wearing gloves. And I remember turning to the lady I used to go to the football with in those days and say, it's late August. That geezer we've just got from Wigan is wearing gloves. And I remember saying, by October, you'll have a brazier set up in the corner of the penalty area. <laughs> it, it, it was a ludicrous <laughs> performance. But Pascal, if you're listening, and of course, because uh, now you know, Charlie, actually, you are listening. Um, we have to. We, we wish you all the luck in the world um, in your adventures at, at Skelmersdale. And there, even the picture of him, unlike so many footballers, when they go and get a new club who look miserable in the pictures, he looks absolutely thrilled to be there. This could be our second club, guys. Oh, imagine yeah. if he started a Wrexham-like rise through the leagues. Yeah, little away Phoenix, days. Skelmersdale. Yeah, I miss I miss away days. Let's do it. Should just mention now. We'll um, listen to some of the audio of this next week. But on the subject of former Spurs players, I had a very enjoyable interview with Kevin Vimmer, uh, which went up on the Athletic uh, this morning, talking about those title pushes in 2016 and 2017, playing with Dembele, his bromance with Son. Uh, yeah, really, really good fun. I don't know much about Kevin. Is he a good? If he's a good chap, really, really nice guy. Yeah, and very funny. And he he was in that Spurs team, and it reminds me a lot of the Spurs team now, which was partly why I thought it would work quite well. Um, you know, it was a young team, no expectations of them in that fifteen sixteen season, and the Spurs media team put loads of stuff out with them just kind of mucking around, playing computer games together and stuff. And like Joe, you were saying with the Madison Udogi thing, you really got the sense then that they were. They were very tight-knit. And yeah, him and Son, just so close. It was always Dyer and Delhi flicking each other's ears on the coach. Yeah, yeah nice. exactly, that sort of <laughs> stuff. And yeah, he said that he was, you know, him and Son were really close to Dyer and Delhi. And uh, yeah, just maybe quite nostalgic for for that period. Okay, now it's time to talk about something um, matters away from the pitch. We've had a number of emails and messages since our last podcast about how Spurs have responded to the ongoing conflict in Israel and Gaza. Spurs, of course, is a club with a strong Jewish heritage, meaning that their response has been under the spotlight more than uh, any other member, really, of the Premier League. Now, above all, we're a football podcast. We're obviously not going to get into the whole politics and how and why what's happening in that part of the world right now. Um, but, Charlie, you have been speaking to a number of fans and supporters groups for a piece about this that's up on The Athletic right now. What have people been telling you? Yeah, thanks, Danny. And thanks to everyone who's been in touch um during what was obviously an extremely difficult time um and yeah i mean this is this is such a complicated and divisive subject um and so for that piece we wanted to make sure we spoke to as many people as possible and reflected as many views as possible um and the piece itself is is hopefully fairly exhaustive um we'll just try and give a bit of a summary here um to illustrate the main viewpoints and first of all there's a lot of disappointment uh, and much stronger emotions felt by Israeli and Jewish Tottenham fans betrayal fury some of the words used to me 
or some feel that this is an attempt by the club to distance themselves um, from their Jewish heritage. Um, the club deny this, incidentally, and point to their commitment to anti-Semitism uh, and all forms of discrimination. Um, the anger and the other emotions from some Jewish and Israel fans, and, and we should say, I say some, because with all of this, the groups that we're talking about, none of them are monolithic or homogenous. There's a big range of views um, within all of them. But that anger, those other emotions, they stem largely from the fact that Spurs in their statement didn't mention the Hamas attacks or use the word terrorist, um, and that they waited until five days after the Hamas attacks and essentially repeated the Premier League statement um, almost verbatim. And given the club's Jewish heritage and the fact Spurs have an Israeli player, many were stunned that they didn't go further. You might have seen Jonathan Edelman, who chaired Tottenham's Tribute Trust, a charity organisation established to look after uh, their former players, he stepped down from that role that he'd had from, for, for a decade because of his disgust at the club's statement. And he published the withering resignation letter that he sent to the club, uh, which included the following. I simply don't understand what, if any, moral compass those who drafted and signed off the club statement have, given the savage butchery of Jews by Hamas, a prescribed terrorist organisation. I expected nothing better from the FA, but I did from our club. Not just because we have an Israeli player, not just because of the club's deep connection with the Jewish community, but also given the commendable stance the club took on taking the knee, standing with Ukraine, and so on. And that final part about the club's solidarity with those other causes is another reason why their relative silence in this instance caused such hurt, especially as between the two of them, Chelsea and Crystal Palace did express their solidarity with the Jewish community in London and the victims of the Hamas attacks in Israel. Though to demonstrate just how complicated this all is, that position, I know in Chelsea's case, didn't go down well um, with a lot of Arab and Muslim supporters. In general, the pro-Palestinian Spurs supporters we spoke to were in favour of a neutral position that Spurs have taken. They point to the fact that they want their club to be apolitical and have made the point that if Tottenham were to specifically mourn the loss of Israeli lives, then they should surely have to do so with Palestinian ones, both to come and in the past. Uh, and given the nature of this war, and its expected duration, entering into a running commentary, they feel would not be advisable for anyone. Um, and then other supporters we spoke to who would present themselves, I guess, as more neutral when it comes to this conflict, expressed, expressed a range of views, largely reflecting those of wider society. Uh, in general, there was a fair amount of sympathy for the position any organisation finds itself in if expected to speak publicly on this topic. One suggestion was that Spurs should have, straight after the Hamas attacks on October 7th, expressed sympathy with their player Manor Solomon, but not said anything else about the conflict so as to keep as narrow a focus as possible. But as soon as the conflict escalated, it was impossible for them to keep such a narrow focus. Another view expressed by both Jewish and non-Jewish fans was that they really don't care what Spurs have to say on this matter and that they now wish football clubs and organisations hadn't created this expectation that they should speak on so many issues outside of football by weighing in on topics like Black Lives Matter and the Russia-Ukraine war. Spurs, for their part, explained to us that their position comes from their belief that football should be aligned and that it needs to be apolitical and multi-denominational. And from their perspective, while they've never named terrorist groups, they believe they made it clear in their statement that they were unequivocally calling out and condemning the horrific acts of violence against innocent civilians. And externally, it's been suggested that given the rise in anti-Semitic crimes in the UK since the events of the weekend of October 7th and 8th, there was an increase of more than 300% last week 
uh, in anti-Semitic crimes in the UK, according to the Community Security Trust. Spurs might have been wary of making Solomon or their fans more of a target if they were seen to be weighing into the conflict, especially given the club's Jewish heritage and Jewish chairman. Um, and there has already been an attack on the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium since the Hamas killings, with a man arrested for cr- causing criminal damage. Though a club statement uh, and the Met Police have said there was no evidence uh, that this was motivated by anti-Semitism. Uh, there's so much more we could say on this topic, including a discussion of how incredibly difficult this must be for Manuel Solomon, who has our deepest sympathies, as do all the innocent people from both sides that are suffering in this awful conflict. Um, but I think we'll leave it there for now. So, yeah, as I say, thank you to everyone who's got in touch and just, yeah, we're sending all our, all our sympathies and love. Okay, Charlie, listen, thank you very, very much indeed for that. And you can read that piece, of course, on The Athletic itself, which takes us, uh, Joe and Charlie, to the fact that, thank goodness, deep breath. I mean, I I love the international football, even if the two teams here on the island of Ireland are so bad, it's just it's beyond measuring at the moment of the anger about the two football teams uh, here in this country. But uh, domestic football returns Monday night for Spurs, as you said, both of you, uh, thankfully, Monday night, giving the players a little bit of time to recover from injuries and jet lag. Um, the trouble with being top of the table, Charlie, is that you start to get a bit jittery about opponents. Here. If it was a mid-table game, you'd be going, oh, we can probably do all right against Fulham. But now the points are suddenly quite important. Yeah, they are. And I do think the complexion of it will depend a little bit on what happens to the other teams that you mentioned. Yeah, everyone would have played before them, obviously. Uh I suspect one of City or Arsenal might drop points. Um, Liverpool, I think they'll probably they've got Everton. Um, you know, they tend to win that game, especially at Anfield. Uh, yeah, it's big. I mean, it could be a, you know they're going to have different challenges. They've already had the you know Luton was they can go top, but it was well they can go top for a day and you know in the game they should win. Now either they'll have the chance to go back top or they could have the chance to extend their lead. So it's going to be really interesting just seeing how they deal with, you know, what will be a different challenge. They'll be up against the team in Fulham. Generally, they've kind of struggled a bit more against low blocks. I suspect Fulham will play pretty defensively, partly out of respect for Spurs and what they've done under Postacoglu. I mean, I think they'll probably have enough. I'm curious about, I've written a piece with Jack Lang during the international break on Alejo Valiz. Um, and I just wonder if, maybe not this game, but there might be a game especially right now you know Spurs without Solomon without Perisic Johnson hopefully will be back but you know wouldn't have thought he'd be able to do the 90 just wonder if he becomes that plan B someone I spoke to compared him to Urente at this point of his career Veliz you know could he be that option for Spurs I hope he's I hope he's a bit more mobile than that bless him well yeah I mean I don't think that's ultimately where he's going to be but at this point in his career when he's not starting games for Spurs but he might be coming off the last 20 just gives them a little bit of a you know a different dimension, though there isn't Perisic to put the crosses in. Um, I but I think they'll have enough. I, I but I, I I suspect it might be um, quite a tough game. The important stat here, Charlie, of course, is that Spurs are scoring goals and Fulham don't score a lot of goals. That should be a help to Spurs. The other stat I want to put to you: Spurs have only lost one of their last sixteen Monday night Premier League games. And indeed, they've won eleven of those sixteen. I mean, that it has to be a coincidence. Because, um, you know, Spurs don't win that percentage of their normal games. Otherwise, we'd all be sitting proudly with our Champions League winners' uh, commemorative shirts on. Um, but it is worth noting that they do have a good record on these Monday night games. Yeah, I do struggle to see too much 
causality with that. But I do think in this instance, it is helpful when you've got a ton of international players away for a couple of weeks just having those extra couple of days I do think really buys you some time and yes Fulham will have had some internationals as well but especially when we're talking that you know Madison and Son now Romero all ca- carrying niggles um, I think that is a, it is a great help obviously then the flip side it means you've got the tight Monday to Friday turnaround but look Spurs are going to be in Europe hopefully next season so they're going to have to get used to having the odd <laughs> tight turnaround and especially with no Carabao Cup I don't think they should be overburdened also at some point I think it's going to it's going to show Daniel Levy that we are slightly slim on squads. So, you know, like, say next week, we might have to bring Madders off. We might, you know, probably have to bring Son off. At, let's say we're one up, two up. Not assuming anything, but let's say get them off. I think it, it does sort of feed into Angie's narrative going into January that, you know, I'm going to need, I'm going to need a bit more rotation when we've got those those tight turnaround weeks. Yeah, I mean, I thought that as well. Look at the utter terror, and I, and I mean that word, about that Romero knock. Because the drop-off, yeah. you know, that, that it, that's not a kind of healthy squad when you're fretting to quite that extent. And I know all teams have key players and he's one of them. But, you know, especially when they sold Sanchez, they know they're light there. And that I think they just have to hope that they can get through, the, the, you know, until January. Listen, uh, it's been a joy, uh, Joe. It's been um, fantastic, Charlie. Thank you all for listening to us as well here on The View from the Lane. Um, I have to, as always remind you that the show um, has its own official home on Twitter these days at VFTL podcast, or you can email us and people still do uh, at VFTL at the And for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, including interviews with Kevin Vimmer, let's not kid ourselves. Um, make sure you sign up to the athletic, take advantage of our latest offer of just one pound 99 a month for 12 months. Um, simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pods to subscribe. Now this is a bit where I normally wave goodbye, but I must say, do something more. Joe, listen, thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you both. And as you listeners, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again, hopefully with Spurs still top of the table in a few days' time. Bless you all. The Athletic.